And hello, everyone. Welcome back to the Word Alive broadcast. I'm your host, Mike Dobbs, and we're very, very glad to have you watching today. And uh, we've been studying the book of Genesis, and we're in the second chapter and moving right along. And, uh, you know, we're doing a lot of science and a lot of creation because that's what those chapters entail. But as we proceed through the book of Genesis, we're going to be going into history and background information, hopefully something that would be very interesting to you Bible scholars, uh, as we have done a lot of research in 25 years of research uh, that we actually put in a book called The uh, Word Defined. This is volume one of the Word Defined Research Study Bible. We have it in ebook form. And some of you, if you haven't received yours, you'll be receiving it very soon. And we want to thank all of our supporters for your faithful support. And we do have some incentives coming your way in the next few days. Well, let's go to Genesis, the second chapter. And we left off uh, last broadcast at the fifth verse. And we were talking about the key words in the fifth verse, and uh, in the Exegesis Bible, uh, it reads, And every plant shrub of the field before it was in the earth, and every herb of the field before it grew and sprouted. For the Lord God, Yahweh Elohim, had not caused it to rain upon the earth, and there was not a man, no Adam, to, to serve and till the ground. So, as we were talking about in the last broadcast, and we won't, we won't repeat that, that the earth was like a terrarium with a very dense atmosphere. And so instead of rain, the earth was watered by dew. And so rain is a new thing, right? According to the scripture, rain does not come until the time of the flood. And that is a new phenomenon. That's why when Noah began to preach that it was going to rain, nobody knew what he was talking about because they had never seen that phenomenon before because the earth was a completely different place. And of course, that is another reason why I've had a lot of people ask me questions. Why did man live so long before the flood? And the answer is because of the ultraviolet rays that will age us. We're not able to penetrate through the very dense atmosphere that was filled with moisture. And because of that, man did not age as quickly and neither did the earth. And so uh, that during those years, man lived much longer. And then after the flood, when all of that protection was gone, then man aged quicker. And because of that, he did not live as long. And the same thing goes with the rest of creation. So it, before the flood and after the flood, we really have almost two different worlds, two different ecosystems and uh, two different situations. It's almost like uh, it's a whole new world as as God called it whenever he was telling Noah that he was never going to destroy the earth again. And here was the promise that was in the rainbow that he would never destroy the earth again uh, in, by water. And of course, it was because it was a completely new beginning uh, in many different ways, both ecologically and also physically, as well as also uh, according to the lifespan of mankind and how he would age. And so the key words here, of course, is plant. And uh, we've already talked about that word, siyak, and it means a shoot or to break forth, or it can mean shrubbery. Uh, the next word is eseb, which is herb. And this is in the Hebrew, of course, to glisten or to be green or to be a tender shoot. And then he uses the word rain for the first time. We will see it later on, but the word is matar, and it means to cause to rain upon or to soak. And then to till the ground, he said there was no man or no Adam to till the ground. And the word there is avad, and it means to work or to serve or to till or develop or even to enslave or bring into bondage. 
And so the idea was man was bringing the earth into bondage or bringing it under submission to him as he would plant it and be the husbandman to the soil. And so we see the concept that God has is that God is going to create everything in his order and the way he wants it. And then he's going to create man who is going to be a worshiper, but he's also going to be a worker. He is going to know how to rest on the Sabbath, but he's also going to know how to work. And the work will be to maintain the the original order of what God sets in motion. You know, and that could we could preach on that for a while because that is man's function. If you want to know man's function, he has two functions. Number one, to worship God. We were created to worship him. We were created to exalt him, magnify him, serve him, to work in partnership with him. And in that partnership, the second part is to work, that we were created to maintain the original creative order. Now, in this day and age, man has done the total opposite, and that is the footprint of Satan. Satan wants to destroy the original order because it is perfect, because it is pleasing to God, because it's according to his way and his design and desire. And Satan wants to affect men so that they will not do their responsibility in maintaining the perfect order that God created the world in. And so the destruction and self-destruction that we see underway started when sin came into the world and when man began to neglect his highest calling, and that was to be the king of the earth and to maintain the order of the creator upon the earth. And so you'll see that principle throughout the scripture in the fact that man was supposed to keep the original order. You know, one time in prayer, I was just talking to God about my calling, and the Lord began to refer to something to me, and he said, uh, "He said, what was Paul's job description? What, what was the ministry of the apostle Paul? And I said, well, he ministered to the people. You know, he wrote letters. He was an encouragement to the people. He established order in the churches. He said, that's right. He said, what Paul would do is ask me what my will is, and then he would bring it to the earth. In other words, he would discern through the Spirit what my will was about certain situations, and then he would make that happen in the earth. He would restore the original order. He said, I spoke through him many times, and he wrote letters. And the reason was to establish the order of the first church. And he said, so man's desire and design should always be to maintain the order and the way things are according to Scripture and according to the desire of the Creator. And that is the principle, one of the main principles throughout the entire book. Now, verse 6 says, but there went up a mist from the earth and watered the whole face of the ground. And we're talking about the dew again, as we were referring to earlier. And so uh, in the exegesis Bible in verse 6, it says, but there went up and ascended a mist from the earth and watered and moistened the whole face of the ground and the soil. So the key word, of course, here is mist, and it's the, the word is aid, and it simply means an enveloping fog or vapor. And then it watered the soil, and the word there is shakal, and it simply means to irrigate or to furnish or to, to uh, moisten a portion of something. And then the face, the face of the earth, the surface of the earth. In this case, the word is ponim, which means face, but it means uh, face-to-face or countenance or to inquire. But in this case, it's talking about the surface or the surface of the earth that was watered by the mist. 
Verse 7 says, And the Lord God formed man of the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and man became a living soul. Now, in the last chapter, we saw that on the sixth day he created man, and we understand that that was him just establishing how he created the earth. Here, in, in chapter 2, he's going to go into more detail. He's not creating another man. He is simply going into detail. Uh, first, I tell you what I did. Now, I'm tell you how I did it. And that's what we find in chapter 2. So here's how he did it. First, the, the thing we see that is different than everything else that God has made is that he has created everything else. Created the stars. He created the planets. Created the earth. He said, let there be light. He created the trees. He spoke them into being. Everything he's doing, he's speaking because creation is made by his word. The Bible even says that the worlds were formed by the word of God that came out of his mouth. So we understand that the words that God spoke had creative power in them, and that, that is how he created something out of nothing. But now God's changing his whole mode of operation, his modus operandi. And he's saying, now I am not going to create with my mouth. I'm going to form with my hands. And so he takes something he's already made. He's already made clay and he forms clay. And the first master sculptor that we ever read about in the history of mankind is God himself as he forms a statue, a very intricate, detailed statue of what he wants man to be. And if you can imagine, he made the eyelashes, he made the eyebrows, he, he formed every feature, the circular uh, tunnel of the, of the ears and the nose and the way that the face is structured. And he, he made a, a image, he made a statue, if you please, and it was the express image of what he desired us to be and, and what he was going to come later as whenever he came as a sacrifice uh, as, the, as the Son of God. And so he is molding, he is using his hands. And of course, we have to use that figuratively because he's a spirit. So we can't see his hands and we can't see what he's doing. But somehow there's this spirit that's enveloping this this clay statue and is making the changes and, and tweaking out the differences. And this statue is made perfect and complete. And then he makes it out of the dust of the ground. So we are not a creation. We are made. We were formed by the hands of God. And so you can see the almighty God as if he would get down in the sand or in the mud and the clay, forming this image that he would call his masterpiece. It is the height of his, of his intelligence and his design and his desire. It is the masterpiece of all creation who will serve as the king of the earthly creation that he is making in the finite. And he is looking at it to make sure that everything is perfect the way he wants it. And then it says, and then he breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and man became a living soul. And so, as you understand, he the word nostrils there could literally mean the face. So he breathed into the face, and man became an animated object. You know, one time I was in prayer, and God just kind of showed me that, how that may have happened. And I could just see this clay statue, and the presence of the Lord was just hovering around it. This, this power and energy was hovering around it. And then all of a sudden... I saw him breathe into the face of the statue, and as the breath began to move through the face, 
it began to turn into tissue and blood and 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 he became as the as the breath began to move through the body into the lungs it created lungs and then it moved out until finally it went down his legs and out his toes and and then he looked at his hands like who am i what what am i doing here and and i saw it as he god transformed the clay into living tissue with blood and and the Lord showed me, he said, don't you understand that my blood is simply a representation of my breath, that it is life. When I breathed in life into man, he became an animated or a living soul. And that's what the Bible says. It doesn't say he became a living man. It says he became a living soul because God is going to put emphasis on the soul more than he is the physical existence or the body throughout the entire scripture. He's setting a precedence. Man became a living soul. And so I saw that happen just like in a flash vision when I was praying. And I thought, God, if that's the way it happened, that had to be a marvelous thing as you literally made something out of what you had already created instead of just speaking man into existence. You went to much more trouble, design, and favor to bring man to pass. And so I thought that was pretty awesome. And, and so it says he breathed into his nostrils the breath of life and man became a living so in the exegesis, it said, And the Lord God, uh, Yahweh Elohim, formed man, or Adam, of the dust of the ground of the soul, and breathed or puffed into his nostrils the breath of life, and man became a, a living, eternal soul. And so from that moment, man is not just a temporary creature like the rest of the animals. He is not a temporary uh, apparition, but he is a, uh, a citizen of two realms. He is the citizen of the physical realm, but he's also a citizen of the spiritual realm because he has an eternal soul living within the body that God had created. What was the body made for? The body was made to house the soul. The emphasis is on the soul. Remember that. And you'll see that several times through other scripture. So key words in that verse formed, of course, is the word yatsar. And it simply means uh, to squeeze into shape or to fashion or mold into a form, especially like a potter. So the master potter, the master sculptor formed and shaped and molded and put pressure in certain places to make things the way he wanted them to be because we are his master creation. And we came from the dust or the afar in the Hebrew, which uh, it means powdery clay. And then, of course, mixed with water, something that is ground into powder. And then uh, the word breathe is nafak, which means to puff or to inflate or to scatter or to breathe into. And nostrils can mean the face or the countenance, or it can mean the nostril or the nose. And then the word kai, this is that word again that means alive or life, uh, literally a living creature or a thing. And man became a living nefesh, or the word there is soul, and it means a breathing creature, an animal with spiritual and eternal vitality. The difference between us and other animals, or, and we're really not an animal, but the difference between us and animals is that we have a spiritual vitality. We have a soul, an eternal soul that lives within us. And that is our responsibility as we live this physical life is to make sure that our soul comes under subjection to God, follows his plan and desire, and that we fulfill the desire of partnership with God in fulfilling and maintaining the divine order that his book tells us to do, the word of God, and bringing into the desire and design of whatever it is he wants, that we are walking after his will and not our will. 
You know, the Bible makes it very clear that if we live in our will, we're walking in iniquity or self-rule. But if we live according to his will, we are walking in submission as first servants. And then when we have come to a place of maturity, then we can be called the sons of God. Because for as many as are led by the Spirit, they are the sons of God. That's what the Bible says. And so continuing now in verse number 8. And the Bible said, And the Lord God planted a garden eastward in Eden, and there he put the man whom he had formed. The word there is actually Aden. We call, we call it Eden, but it's Aden. And it means delightful, a place of delight, a place of pleasure. So God creates this garden that is a place of pleasure, a place of delightfulness. And he puts man in this garden for him to be the king of the earth, and he gives him permission, as we'll read later, to name all the animals according to what he desires them to be. And he is walking and doing exactly what God is telling him to do. He is fulfilling the desire of the Lord. And God is so loving and so compassionate that he provides for every need before he even knew he had any. He provides trees that he can eat from. And, and there probably was vegetables that he could eat from. And, and of course, we understand from what we read that not only was he vegetarian, but all of the animals were also vegetarian before the flood or be before sin came into the picture. And so he eats of the trees of the field. He eats of of the orchards. He eats of the vegetables that are there. And and uh, he consumes those things. And, and he's living in a beautiful garden. And he names all the animals. And he's establishing a dominion. And the Lord said, subdue it and bring it under subjection to yourself. And rule and reign over it and be a partner with me in what I am doing in the earth. And establish my will and my design and my desire. And then your responsibility responsibility is to keep the garden and to keep the design and to keep my will and to keep my commandments. And, and I'm only going to give you one commandment. Don't eat of that tree, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. That's the only commandment that I'm giving you. And if you will not do that, then you are obedient to me and you're walking in partnership with me. You see, servanthood has to include submission and obedience. And that is what we see. As long as you are submitted, as long as you are obedient, you will walk in partnership with me. You will share my glory. You will share my power. You will share this garden. And I'll come and walk and talk with you in the cool of the evening. And there will be great fellowship. You see, it was all about relationship from the very beginning. It was not about religion. It was about relationship. And that is what God is trying to set up here as he makes this beautiful garden. And then he tells us a little bit about the garden in verse number 9. And he says, And out of the ground made the Lord God to grow every tree that is pleasant to the sight and good for food, the tree of life, and also in the midst of the garden, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. God always gives us a choice. As long as you live, there will always be a choice. You have been given that power of choice to decide whether you will serve God or whether you won't, whether you'll obey God or whether you'll disobey, whether you will fulfill his desire or fulfill your desire, whether you will let him be master or you insist on being master. There is always going to be a choice, and there even was a choice from the very beginning in this garden, and we're going to talk more about that in our next broadcast. And I thank you so much for watching the Word Alive broadcast. We thank you for your faithful attendance and support, and we pray that you'll continue to watch us and tell your friends about us. We're doing all we can to make the Word come alive to you. Thank you for tuning in to this episode of the Word Alive broadcast. 
If you enjoyed the video, please give it a thumbs up and consider subscribing to our channel. Once you've subscribed, make sure to click on the notification bell so that you'll be notified each time a new episode is released. If you'd like to support this ministry, you can do so by checking out our Patreon page and signing up for one of the provided monthly tiers. A link to our Patreon page can be found down in the description. God bless you and we'll see you next time as we continue to make the word come alive to you.